executive editor of MMM, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to this sponsored podcast with Bill Evans, who's the chief marketing officer of Komodo Health. Bill, thanks so much for joining us here today. Great to be with you, Larry. So yeah, you know, we're going to talk about a wide range of topics around, you know, pharma, its digital transformation, and everything that COVID has accelerated, uh, for better or worse. But um, before we get going, I, I think the best question to start with is kind of the most simple one. Um, how are you? How is everybody in the Komodo Health family um, after the year that we've had? Um, ha- what's the state of affairs on the ground for Komodo right now? Yeah, thanks for, thanks for asking. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of companies like ours, you, you can't ever prepare for a pandemic. I want to make sure everybody understands that like what I'm about to say next is not, you know, what we would have done in an ideal situation, but, you know, companies like ours, companies like so many of them in the day and age that we live with are kind of built to go virtual, right? And so I think the one thing we miss is we have a very strong in-person culture. Uh, The culture of the organization is very relationally dependent. Um, And so we miss that very much. We, We actually had the the benefit of having like an all company, all hands back at the end of January, right before everything kind of shut down. So from a business perspective, I think, you know, it's been, it's been fine. We haven't missed a beat. We are very much looking forward to vaccination rollout and, and some return to normalcy. You know, it's, it's funny you bring it up that way. You know, I think, you know, on one hand, you know, I haven't seen with maybe one exception, I haven't seen any of my colleagues in person since last March. However, I feel that since we do so much via the screens right now, I don't really feel like I've missed anyone's new haircut, somebody growing a beard or shaving a beard or anything like that. <laughs> there is still that basic level of connection. Uh, how about this? Yeah. Um, when when you know Komodo realized that you know this was this was going to be kind of a long haul thing rather than our optimistic, well, we'll be back in the office by May or maybe June. Um, what what were some of the immediate changes that the company affected? Um, and yeah. uh, how did, how did that work out for you? First and foremost, we wanted to make sure that we were taking care of our people. So putting some emphasis on the ability for folks to use, you know, stipends and things like that to build out an office space or a work from home spot that they could be comfortable in. That was one very sort of tactical thing that we embraced. We also, we have a number of folks in our team, as I mentioned before, that are stewards of the company culture. And so we also wanted to make sure that we had these points of interaction where we didn't lose the face-to-face time for, you know, the, the hallway conversations you have with people and that, you know, you're standing next to the coffee maker catching up with somebody. So we did put more of an emphasis on uh, sort of social events, even though they are over Zoom, times for people to get together and eat lunch or eat breakfast together, sort of the water cooler Zoom experience. Uh, so, it, you know, it's not a full-on replacement for the in-office experience, but it has done uh, the hard work of trying to keep some of the relational aspects of, you know, working with your colleagues going uh, in a very difficult time with the pandemic. And given that, you know, Komodo always has had a reputation of being so strong in that culture area. Um, what, what were some of the from far activities that you were able to, to do? Um, you know, certainly, you know, I, I think everybody loved the Zoom happy hours at first, but then you realize, wait a second, mm-hmm. I'm on Zoom for nine hours during the day. Maybe we can have a drink via the telephone. Well, it's funny you say that. Actually, one of the I think one of the the side effects that came out of this was we we actually have conversations about having camera off meetings. I think the 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 interesting sort of thing I've discovered in my own sort of workflow is like Zoom is great because it it really does help with like 
the personal nature of the conversation, but you're sort of rooted to a chair where the camera is focused on. And I, I have now all my one-on-ones with my directs where they're just phone calls simply so you can get up and walk around your office or walk around your room or whatever, get some blood flow because it does get a little, a little tiring to sit, sit in the same chair for eight, nine, 10 hours a day. Um, one of the, just anecdotally, one of the other things we discovered is that there's like a whole cottage industry of like entertainment that's now Zoom oriented. As an example of like, as a leadership team, we had a, uh, an event around the holidays where we actually had an illusionist come on and do like a whole magic show over Zoom. It was phenomenal, right? So I think there's, you know, if you get creative with it, there's a lot of things you can do beyond the expected, but even those happy hours, those lunches, those like connecting with the colleagues are still supremely important. Just kind of build off that, you know, the, you know, the, the COVID quote unquote pivot that, you know, we've been talking about. Um, in terms of Komodo's work, in terms of its relationships, its professional relationships, tell me, tell me a little bit about how those have evolved over the last, you know, 11 months or, you know, whatever it's been. Sure. Um, what have been, what have been some of the changes in the way that, you know, Komodo goes about its business every day? Well, I think much like our customers, the the pivot to an all virtual engagement, uh, probably everybody had a little bit of a learning curve, right? If you think about even the industries that we serve, where you had pharmaceutical reps are now having to be entirely virtual, right? We we sort of had to go through that same, that same kind of transition. I, I think from a business standpoint, though, what we saw, and I think a lot of others are seeing, is that the pandemic probably put the gas pedal and the acceleration on this need for digital transformation. And so where we sit and how we service our customers uh, actually in a lot of ways made us, uh, I don't want to say more valuable, but when other businesses were probably in other industries were having to deal with like the loss of in-person, you know, you think about what's happening with like restaurant, dining, whatever, healthcare industry hasn't had those same kind of effects. There's been a transition, but demand has probably actually increased. The things that you see around the need for better insights, better data to drive the kind of engagements that's crucial across the entire spectrum of healthcare. COVID, maybe the, the positive side effect, if there is one, is that it has forced people to rethink their strategy in a way that should bring benefits to the entirety of, of the ecosystem. Um, one, one of the things that you said in that answer really caught my ear. Um, I was talking about um, driving better insights. Mm-hmm. Tell me about some of the conversations that you've had with clients to that end. Have their expectations changed substantially from where they were at the start of the pandemic? Or, you know, have they basically been become a little bit more open to maybe experimentation? Um, you know, maybe trying something that, you know, had if there hadn't been this pretty unprecedented set of circumstances, you know, they might have waited for somebody else to give it a try first. I don't know that expectations changed. You know, I think there's obviously across the board a fairly high bar for the level of service and excellence and results that you can bring to your customers. But to your point, as new strategies needed to be developed, there is an opportunity for a heavier or a newer reliance on emerging technologies. Just the transformation of what's happening with like field forces, both on like the medical affairs and scientific education side, as well as like commercial pharma, overly generalizing, like a field rep can do a lot of work walking into a doctor's office to, you know, and having that sort of shoulder to shoulder interaction to sort of understand where the physician need is, get a feel for, you know, the types of information they might need or, or the kind of education they would bring. And a good rep will do that in spades, right? But now as, as more and more attention is, is being focused online and the, and the time you have as a customer or a, a delivery provider in terms of service or information, 
uh, is getting harder and harder. Closing that gap of like understanding what is actually going to be value is valuable is more crucial than ever, right? I'm sure all of us are getting inundated with emails and with text and like social ads and what have you. And so to be able to cut through that noise with like better insights uh, in a lot of ways is the key to success or failure. So, you know, to your point, I don't know that it's necessarily like um, open to experimentation. It's like the ground game has changed. And so finding the things that can provide value in this sort of unprecedented marketplace of um, competition is, has been interesting to accelerate a lot of the changes that we're seeing. And, you know, it's interesting, Bill, what you said leads right into one of the topics that we were thinking about covering, um, you know, the state and the pace of digital transformation in pharma. You, you know, said something similar when we were talking at the start of this call. So I want to give that same kind of disclaimer in that obviously, you know, COVID-19 was a disaster on so many levels, <laughs> on so many levels, but in a way, did it force pharma to kind of embrace that digital transformation? Did it accelerate yeah. pharma to a place that everybody expected it would get to sooner or later, but you know, maybe you know, just kicked up the timetable? I, I think there's kind of two, two vectors to looking at this. One is sort of the transformation that happens in sort of like siloed applications. What I mean by that is, like we mentioned before, you're seeing, <clears throat> you're seeing organizations that are actually like radically reducing the size of their field force. Some of that may be temporal because of COVID. Some of that may be that like they've realized that the productivity that is possible by, you know, going to market with your customers through the use of digital technologies can be as or if not more effective. Like your mileage may vary based on your constituents. But then there's sort of the secondary effect, which is, you know, there is always, at least for the past, I'm way too old now, but like as long as I've been working in this industry, there's that kind of transformation digitally. But then how do you take the insights and the data from those individual transformations and now affect it across the entire life cycle and workflow of a molecule, of a product, of a brand, of a franchise? So I, I actually think that's been some of the more interesting effects of the COVID pressure in terms of digital transformation is that now... You have to take a much more horizontal view at like digital transformation and, and innovation because the data and the insight and the learning has to travel, right? All these systems need to be interconnected. All these systems need to talk to each other, need to layer up. So vertical transformation happening very quickly as, as you would expect, but the horizontality of that transformation has been some of the more interesting um, effects of this. Um, the natural follow-up to that question is, um, how, how well are these organizations doing? You know, is there a comfort level yet, or is it still a matter of, you know what, we're trying a little bit here, we're trying a little bit there, let's see how it works out, and then we'll plan something going forward. I was talking with a marketing exec from a company a week or two ago, and her take was basically like, yeah, you know, we used to plan in 18 to 24-month periods, now we're doing it in three-month periods, and it's <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. what, what are you hearing along those lines? Well, the, I actually think the, the, the shorter time cycle of planning can actually be beneficial. You know, just the fact that like the world seems to be changing faster and faster and faster. And so part of this evolution to that point is like almost like projecting 24, you know, 12, 24 months out feels like a quixotic exercise because you really don't know what's going to happen three months from now, let alone two years from now. Um, but, but in terms of your question, how companies are doing, I, I think fairly well. If there's one thing, you know, to be observed, it's that the sort of horizontal platform enterprise, like complete workflow for pharma, like, uh, like a digital platform, you know, companies are trying to piece these things together 
the best that they can. There's a number of providers, we're one of them, right? But the more that like we can help and pharma as a whole can start to, and life sciences as a whole can start to think about like, how do we create systems of interoperability where from the beginning of sort of like pre-market approval all the way through probably line of therapy extension, the data is being utilized in a way that brings value to every step in the process and every aspect of the workflow. I think that's the goal everybody's trying to get to. Obviously, we're not there yet. The state of the technology in the marketplace is still evolving. But for an industry that is typically very methodical, to your point about planning, uh, in terms of how it delivers transformation to its own constituents, uh, doing very, very well in terms of adopting to an unprecedented time in the market. I mean, we see it obviously up close, but, you know, you look at the way pharma is being perceived very differently in the wake of this, you know, borderline miraculous work on vaccines. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see, I mean, forget about the perception gains, but, you know, whether pharma, you know, basically keeps this pace, you know, keeps its, uh, you know, keeps saying, all right, you know what, we're going to be more agile. I mean, you know, let's be honest, any number of companies says, oh, well, you know, we're going to be agile, we're going to be nimble. And then, you know, it's back to the, you know, 18 year planning process and, you know, everybody <laughs> falling asleep in meetings and everything like that. But, uh, you know, uh, the actual agility that the industry is showing right now, I think is very much a surprise and very much a really good thing. Yeah. And I, and I think agility is an interesting word because it, I think in terms of where, the high watermarks stay and where there's some recession, the expectation for customers of pharma, the clinicians, the patients, the the sort of everybody in the supply chain has dramatically changed. And so I think when you start to think about the value delivery that pharma brings and the way that digital is transforming uh, the expediency of that delivery, I don't know that that's something that can go backwards. It's sort of like, as just an individual with anything that we do, like when, you, when you're used to a certain level of service or used to a level of communication and responsiveness, very hard to go backwards, right? So I don't, think, I don't think that's going to change. I don't think it should, right? Now, there may be other parts of the, of the ecosystem, the supply chain, whatever, that may revert somewhat to the mean. And those, those choices may be necessary and good. But from a patient expectation standpoint, from an information delivery standpoint, from a value creation and sort of support of the HCPs that are the customers of pharma, I don't know that that should or could go backwards. Amen to that. And you know, hopefully that same spirit will rise through. You were talking about this um, over the course of one of your recent answers, but I wanted to ask you to follow up. Th- that um, pharma has obviously quite a bit of that at its disposal. Tell me about the increase of decision-making that's driven by this. Um, sure. Um, of certainly, again, this is you know not a new thing, I don't think, but I think to a certain level, we're seeing it amplified, um, multiplied, you know, many times over. Um, tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I think there's a, an important distinction in your question, which is, I don't know that the reliance on data for decision-making has changed. I think the reliance on the quality of the data for decision-making has changed. If there's one thing that's happened with COVID, it's that it has put a spotlight on the fact that if your data is not fresh and recent and able to be incorporated with your own sort of first-party insights in terms of what's actually happening in market, with so much change accelerating or sort of happening at such a pace, the data decision-making is sort of irrelevant. Like if you're working on data that's six months old and hasn't accounted for market changes, then your decisions are gonna be subsequently uh, suspect, 
right? And so that's, I think one of the things where Komoda has really succeeded with our customers and not to turn this into like overly promotional, but like the, our healthcare map, which is what we call our data asset is constantly being refreshed with, with new data. And so, and new insights out of what's happening in the clinical marketplace. And so there's been this real large amount of demand for a freshness of data and a re, you know, and a refreshing of of the insights that are coming from the market to be able to respond to what's happening. This was especially prevalent early on in COVID when patient populations were moving into telemedicine. Clinicians were like changing where they were treating patients, and now their typical sites of care were not necessarily where they were seeing patient populations. You saw a decline in testing. I mean, most of these things are now fairly well known in terms of like the ripple effects of COVID. But if your data isn't keeping up with that market trend, then your insights and your decisions are going to be not as strong. So I think that's been the biggest sort of transformation here is like a real understanding that like getting an ability to see what's happening close to as possible real time of what's happening in market is crucial to be able to succeed. And, you know, obviously this is, you know, Komodo's bread and butter. Um, your company tagline is you breathe life into data. Ha- have you had to nudge? anyone along on this transformation or is it basically, you know, you, you spell it out the way you just did companies get it and say, okay, you know, we, we gotta, you know, we have to make sure that we're doing this now and not, you know, with any kind of a lag. No, I, I think it's more about like when you demonstrate the value and the power of the timeliness of your data, it becomes fairly self-evident. And so as much as like, as we've said, COVID has been a trying time for everybody up and down the line. Like it, it, has allowed us to further demonstrate the value of our of our solutions in our healthcare map to do just that for customers, right? And so the more that like you can bring fresh data and fresh insights to be able to help folks make better decisions, just the more valuable you are uh, to your customers. One of the other players within the health uh, health ecosystem, um, certainly on the marketing side, data side, everywhere, are the marketing agencies. In a way, are agencies trying to present themselves a little bit differently from what they did prior to the last year, two years or so? Well, I think they have to, right? I, if you look at some of the acquisitions that have happened in market, at the at the risk of overgeneralization, I mean, th- there's sort of two vectors to this, right? As more and more organizations are moving to digital, more and more of the marketing spend is moving to digital. And so competitive advantages that used to rely on sort of like better creative, better content, better metrics in terms of like how media assets perform are sort of cost of doing business now, right? So mm-hmm. without, you know, better targeting, right? Which is, I think, is some of the the acquisitions you've seen um, where they're actually trying to go out and create the ability to get better physician profiling, better physician targeting, better physician data to drive engagement, and then better measurement is going to be crucial for agencies to differentiate themselves. You know, those, those two things are where we spend a lot of time helping our customers as well. Um, but it's, it's just a natural progression of where agencies and consulting shops are going to have to focus to bring value to the equation. Um, again, the natural follow-up question there, how are they doing? Um, are companies doing this in a way that's meaningful and intentional or to a certain extent, is that, are there a couple of companies doing this very well and a lot of others being like, well, you know, this seems to be working for them. Let's follow them down that, uh, that uh, branding path. Yeah, to be honest with you, I think it's a little too early because there's a couple of different vectors on this. And so if you think about some of the larger agencies out there that are playing in this space, right? Their ability to use their capital to make strategic acquisition should serve them well. 
The question is then what do we, they do with that acquisition, right? So organizations that are not typically software first, as we all know, like I spent 20 years on the agency side, right? Like the idea of building a SaaS application or building a software portfolio is just not germane to the model that they operate under. So if you're if you're buying an asset to accentuate current offerings, like I mentioned before, could be very successful, right? You're gonna grow market share by taking revenue away from your competitors. That's how agencies have operated since the dawn of time, right? I, I, what I don't necessarily see happening is your classic agency shifting to moving into like a software first environment, right? To me, you know, some of the, the folks that you've read about that have made acquisitions are squarely aiming at the, the McKinsey's of the world to get a bigger and bigger piece of the strategic consulting business, which is what they should be doing, right? Um, but that's a different application of an acquisition than say, I'm going from a services business to a software business, which is very, very difficult to undertake. So, you know, we will see uh, how those things bear out. Uh, but even buying, you know, some of the acquisitions and buying sort of like entry level products that we've seen should serve them well from a targeting and clinician engagement perspective. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, to to that point, um, you know, you mentioned that some of the larger networks, you know, certainly they have a, and also some of the larger independents, they have a degree of resources that other organizations don't. Um, I mean, is this right. the kind of trend that you're seeing in smaller firms as well, attempting to recast what they do? Or is it something that is almost limited to companies that are big enough that they can buy what they can't figure out in their own? Uh, I, I would say on the smaller agency side, it we've seen a lot of activity, or at least I've observed a lot of activity to build up a roster of partnerships. To your point, resources aren't as, you know, if you're not one of the big company, big holding companies or one of the big independents, you are trying to assemble uh, you know, a squad of Avengers to go out and compete. Because as I mentioned, like the, 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 the game has completely changed for how you pitch digital. For the longest time, it was about quality of creative and value of pricing. And now it's about the strength of your insight and your ability to measure. And so if you don't wanna you know, basically lose ground as a boutique to some of the larger shops, you need to build partnerships with organizations that can extend your capabilities to be able to do that, just that. You know, one of the things that we've also been doing a lot of is helping organizations transform how they do digital measurement, right? So most of the people probably listening to this podcast will know like digital metrics for the longest time are all based on the performance of the creative itself. How many people opened an email? How many people clicked on an ad? How many people visited a website? Which sort of tells you the health and wellness of the digital asset, but doesn't tell you anything to do with whether you actually changed clinician behavior, right? And so to your point about how, you know, all the things that we've been talking about, about better use of data and the digital transformation, right? Tying digital engagement and digital campaign performance to actual clinical outcomes completely changes how agencies can pitch their services. Because now I'm just saying like, hey, I delivered this many impressions or this many email opens or we increased time on site by a minute and a half, whatever it is, you might be able to, you will actually be able to show post digital campaign engagement, hey, we increased scripts or we increased testing or we increased, you know, uh, line of therapy, like compliance entirely different way to think about how you're you're structuring a digital strategy. How, how has that measurement conversation come up? Um, does it come up organically? Is this the kind of thing that Komodo actively goes out and says, hey, you know, here's an area where, you know, we can really, really, you know, drive yeah. some change in the way that you want and that you need? No, we actively, we actively 
talk with customers about it. I, I think, you know, if you think about utilization of clinical data, at the end of the day, everything is about the benefit of the patient, right? And so if you just think about that as a philosophy, it logically makes sense that your KPIs and your measurements of performance should be centered around the patient. Well, how do you do that if you don't have clinical data or patient data to show that you have achieved your goal? And this is where I think um, a lot of you, the evolution we're seeing with agencies is taking place because you have to be able to tie in-market performance and patient outcomes to your campaigns. I mean, a lot of these brands are spending multiples of millions of dollars on digital programming, probably way more of a percentage of their marketing budget because of COVID than they ever have before. And the metrics around that have not really been mature. And so this is like, been a very uh, high volume of conversations that we have with, with a number of our agency partners around how do we take clinical data with their first party campaign data to show how they're actually like affecting the outcomes of patients in a positive way. It, it's core to this idea of patient centricity. We're at a moment in time where the technology is mature enough to be able to do this. And the agencies are technolog technologically astute enough to be able to do the analytics to do it. And so it's been a it's been a it's been a radical transformation in terms of how you think of value delivery from a digital standpoint. And you know the fact that everybody seems to be on the same page in terms of all right patient centricity. This is something we can do after basically paying it lip service for however long. That, that's got to help those conversations. It's got to provide sure. an easy starter. Hey, and I and and I I, I want to just like riff on something you said because I don't think it was lip service. I just don't know that the and I know you didn't mean it that way. I just don't know that the the capabilities were really there. I mean, the, the standard of doing this prior to our offering, you know, was you had to like go out, you, talk about timeliness of data again, right? So you'd hire a consulting firm, you'd go out, you'd look at the market, you'd, you'd gather up the, the data coming off of the patients, you'd piece it all back together, you'd assess. So it might be three, four months before you actually knew if your campaign data or your campaign programming actually benefited patient outcomes. Well, you can do that sort of like, I don't say in real time, but the timestamp is much, much, we're talking like days and weeks as opposed to like months. So even just the ability to optimize your spend, you know, talk about going, shortening the planning cycle, right? Now, instead of like waiting a quarter to figure out if your programs work, you can actually optimize fairly close to reality in terms of like the timelines you're dealing with. So if something's not working, you can do less of it. And something is working, you can do more of it. But without that signal coming back in terms of what's happening with your patients, very difficult to do. Bill, I'm going to put you on the spot here with the last question. Um, okay. I think it's almost unfair <laughs> to ask anybody to, you know, make predictions about the future, you know, uh, much less like, you know, three hours into the future, given the pace of change nowadays and given the myriad uncertainties that we all face. But um, let's say we're having this conversation again a year from now. Um, what do you hope to be telling me? What do you expect to be telling me? Um, what are a couple trends that you expect to see? And yeah. what's going to be what's going to be happening under your own roof at Komoda? <laughs> well, I think some of those answers are all the same. I, I think that where we're headed, and I'm sure we're not alone, is this idea of much like in other industries. Uh, an end-to-end -end software workflow for life sciences. Komodo has that now. We're going to continue to push our, our platform forward so that you really can harness every ounce of value from your own data and 
the data of the solution providers that you work with, whether it's Komodo or others, right? Hopefully it'll be us. And, and that transformation I think is starting to happen, right? Two years ago, three years ago, maybe a little more, the conversation was about like data interoperability. Well, that problem has basically been solved. Now it's about like insight interoperability, like turning software from point solutions to systems of insight that can build upon each other and bring value across the continuum. I think that's like, hopefully very soon, like that's going to be the conversation that customers are going to want to have because they're going to see how it benefits their patients across the entire spectrum of healthcare. And I think we'll get there, right? Like, as we've talked about through this whole, um, conversation, like COVID has put the reliance probably faster than it it may have been organically on using software to solve business problems, right? And so the more we can like continue to bring value to our customers, the faster that adoption curve is going to happen. All right. You know, it's funny. What I'd like to do is check in with you again in a couple months. Let's see how these things play out because Sounds they're, great. They're, fa they're fascinating trends. And they're ones that, you know, I mean, companies can say, all right, you know, well, you know, we'll see, but I, I don't think there's any benefit in waiting. I think, you know, the approach that you're talking about, the approach that Komodo is talking about is one that has to resonate among, you know, companies that are looking for that guidance in so many different areas. Yeah. All right. That was the MM&M sponsored podcast with Komodo Health. Bill, thank you so much for being here today. Um, it was great education for us and hopefully our listeners as well. And uh, let's do this again soon. All right, my man. Take care of yourself. You too.